Reacting to the world's best science. The Naked Scientist Newsflash. Hello, welcome to the Naked Scientist Newsflash, where we take a weekly look at what's hot in the world of science. This week's episode is brought to you by Kat Arney and by me, Chris Smith. Coming up, good news for would-be bodybuilders everywhere because researchers have tracked down the muscle stem cell. They've also uncovered the source of the cells that might make you fat. And they discovered that these progenitor cells are embedded deep in the walls of blood vessels that run through fatty tissues. And when they get a whiff of the excess calories, they drift out of the blood vessels and mature into great big fat cells. And a new way to beat bugs. Researchers have found a way to block bacteria from eavesdropping on what the immune system's up to. What we've done now is to develop drugs that will bind to the bacterial receptor and prevent the receptor from seeing the host's stress hormones. And in this way, the bacteria passes blindly through the host without being able to know where it is and activate its virulence traits. That's all on the way. This week, scientists have made a really interesting step forward, potentially in the treatment of things like muscular dystrophy and other muscle-wasting and muscle strength-sapping diseases. And this is a piece of work which has been done by Helen Blau. She's a researcher at Stanford. She's got a paper in this week's Nature. And they've come up with the cocktail of chemical markers that are found on the surfaces of cells that are muscle stem cells. Now, there's been a bit of a furore raging for many years over whether muscles really had stem cells. Some people said that the muscle you're born with has to last you a lifetime. Other people said... They didn't believe it, and they thought there were cells that could regenerate muscle if we knew how to make them work. Well, the answer is there are stem cells that can make new muscle, and Helen Blau and her team have now found out how to identify those cells. They're in all muscles, and they've got the particular collection of, of surface markers that you need in order to be able to... Uh, isolate them and also grow them and they've done some very elegant experiments what they've done is to collect some of these stem cells and then insert into them a gene from fireflies which makes them glow and they're able to then put those cells back into mice muscles and then using a very sensitive camera show that the cells grow in these mice so their muscles begin to glow and the cells not only add new muscle, but they also produce new stem cells. In other words, they renew themselves and they can renew muscle. And why she thinks this is very important is that it shows that if we know how to harness these cells, there are umpteen different disorders that we might be able to tackle, including muscle wasting as we get older, people who have hip replacements and end up prone in bed for a long period of time, and they can end up with muscle problems, and also people who have chronic diseases like HIV or cancer. Both of these cases also lead to muscle wasting. And so if we can now identify how we switch on these stem cells, which is what they're working on at the moment, we might be in a position to treat those problems. Now, fat, it's something that many of us do struggle with. But where does it come from? Where does it come from? Researchers in Dallas have finally tracked down the location of immature fat cells, which hide out, waiting for the extra calories that turn them into flab. Now, for a while, researchers have suspected that immature fat cells, known as fat progenitors, were hiding somewhere around the blood vessels that feed fatty tissues, but their precise location wasn't known. Now, working with mice and publishing their results in Science this week, the researchers engineered engineered fat progenitor cells with a gene that makes them glow green under ultraviolet light so they could be followed in the body. 
and they discovered that these progenitor cells are embedded deep in the walls of blood vessels that run through fatty tissues, and they're actually an integral part of the blood vessel wall. Now, the researchers think that these cells are there because it enables them to sense the levels of nutrients in the blood, and when they get a whiff of the excess calories, they drift out of the blood vessels and mature into great big fat cells. And the green label that they put in them also meant that researchers could separate the immature fat cells from other cells in the tissue and grow them in the lab. So now they can study them, understand more about the mechanisms behind fat growth, what turns these progenitors into big fat monster fat cells, um, which could lead to ways to cut obesity and metabolic diseases such as diabetes. Also, though as well as just, you know, for us fatties out there, um, for people who struggle with their figures, the research could also point to ways to reactivate these immature fat cells if you get injured. Or, for example, if someone has a breast lump removed, you could maybe reactivate the fat cells in their breast to, to fill in the lump after surgery. That's, in, that's incredible um, and a useful application. I was thinking there are other disorders, like uh, in people who take uh, drugs for HIV for a long period of time, you get a redistribution of fat around the body, a lipodystrophy, and it could be that understanding a bit more about how these cells work in that context could to be useful. It's very exciting, yeah. Now they've managed to isolate these cells, they can really get to grips with them in the lab and find out what turns them on and turns them off. Now, we always have to talk about poo on The Naked Scientist. I don't know, it's usually Kat whose job it is to do that. Uh, but I've got a great story this week, which is from Nicholas Money and his team. They're at Miami University in Ohio, and they've been studying a certain kind of fungi, which turn out to be the fastest organisms in the world. These things can move would you believe it, at nearly 100 kilometres an hour. There's certain species he's been looking at are Ascomycetes and there's also Zygomycetes as well. Um, these fungi have the rather unenviable task of breaking down dung. Um, what they do is to get into a cowpat and they turn the cowpat back into nutrients that grass and other things in the soil can use and also CO2 which goes up into the atmosphere. So they're very important as poo recyclers. If we didn't have them, then the whole world would drown in a sea of poo. So they're very, very useful. But they have a problem, which is that they need to get into a cow pat in order to grow. And that means that they need their spores to go through the animal that's going to deposit that cow pat so that the spore lands in its lunch, quite literally, and then it germinates and turns into the fungus in the cow pat. How do you do that? Because animals, on the whole, avoid grazing, and humans are no different, where other animals have defecated. It's mm. a protective mechanism. So what Paul Money and his team, um, Nicholas Money and his team managed to do was to work out how these fungi distribute their spores and they have the fastest guns in the west let's say what they do is they have the equivalent or the microbial equivalent of a super soaker water pistol so they have little fruiting bodies which are part of the fungus and they have collections of spores at the end of these fruiting bodies and they ship into this fruiting body lots of salts sugars and alcohols which cause water to be pulled in by osmosis and this causes pressure to build up no more than you'd find elsewhere in the fungus but there's something critical about the structure so that this suddenly bursts and it launches the spores from this fruiting body and they go a whopping 25 meters a second covering a distance of up to two and a half meters and the force that's expelling them is 180,000 times the acceleration due to gravity so it's a pretty impressive kick that they get to, to, to launch them out and these things are just a fraction of a millimetre across so it's an amazing feat for something so small but it solves the problem it puts the spores into a different place where a herbivore comes along, eats the grass where the spores landed, then you've got the spore in the gut and it's ready to come out with the cow pat and start the life cycle all over again. Amazing. They're, the pictures that they took, um, they say they needed a camera that took 250,000 pictures a second to do this analysis, but the pictures are so impressive, they're now going to publish them on YouTube with some sensitive music to go with, because they say they're <laughs> such a good watch. Isn't nature wonderful?
Now, we all know that the days of fossil fuels are limited, so researchers are trying to find alternative fuels. Biofuels have risen in popularity in recent years, and that's fermenting plant material to make ethanol. That's already been used to produce fuel in several countries around the world. But chemically speaking, ethanol is a long way away from petrol, gasoline for our US listeners, and the diesel that's currently used in car engines, in jet planes and so on. The problem is, is that plant sugars that you make ethanol from have lots and lots of oxygen atoms in them, which aren't really found in fuels like gasoline. They sort of make lower grade fuels. Now, scientists at the University of Wisconsin-Madison have developed a biofuel that's identical at the molecular level to gasoline. This sounds absolutely brilliant. Uh, Writing in the journal Science, the researchers have found a technique for turning these complex plant sugars called lignocellulose into molecules that can be upgraded through chemical reactions to make petrol diesel, jet fuel and so on. And they do this by turning the plant sugars into molecules with fewer oxygen atoms, which can then be converted, stuck together to make high-octane gasoline. So to create these new starter molecules, the scientists add a solid catalyst to the solution of plant sugars. Reaction takes place and this kind of oil-like substance is produced that floats up to the top of the liquid, can be just skimmed off. And inside this are uh, acids, alcohols, ketones, all these molecules that have less oxygen to start with than the sugars, but are the precursors to gasoline. Then you do some more reactions, string them together to make gasoline. And it's a much more efficient way of using these plant sugars for biofuels. Uh, The oil that the team have made retains around 90% of the energy content of the original sugars, so that's very, very good conversion rate. Um, Although this technique's still really at an experimental stage, perhaps it could solve our oil crisis in the future. It certainly sounds exciting, Kat, but is it scalable? What I mean by that is... It's one thing to do a reaction in the test tube. It's another to take it to the fuel pump. Exactly. Is it scalable? Um, It's still, well, at the moment they're still doing it in quite a small scale in the lab. But uh, I'm I'm sure these guys are very smart guys who are really into into their biofuels. So hopefully we'll find a way in the future. Well, a very strong motivator is price, of course. And petrol, I know the price has come down a bit, but the price is still incredibly high. And people are saying that we're on the downward slope now where oil reserves are getting harder to find, not easier. As a result, prices are only really in the long term going to rise. So there's a strong motivation to do this kind of thing. Absolutely. I can't keep affording to pay the petrol to come up here every week. Don't say that. We need you. (laughs) Now, some bacterial infections, and this week we're talking about bacterial infections and superbugs in hospitals on The Naked Scientist, but some bacterial infections like E. coli 0157, which is a cause of food poisoning, can also damage your kidneys, for example, they seem paradoxically to get a lot worse when you give patients antibiotics instead of getting better. And it seems that this is because the bacteria enter a sort of high alert state in response to the treatment, and so they fight back by becoming a lot more virulent. But now researchers at Southwestern Medical Center at the University of Texas have come up with a drug that can stop these bacteria from sensing the chemicals in your body that tell the bacteria your body's gearing up to fight them. And Dr. Vanessa Sperandio is in Dallas, and she joins us now to tell us about this bit of research. Hello, Vanessa. Uh, Hello, Chris. Welcome to The Naked Scientist. So how do bacteria actually manage to to home in on the fact that we're onto them? Well, uh, they sense two stress hormones that you have, adrenaline and noradrenaline, and they use those two hormones as cues to know that they're inside of you. And when they sense that receptor in the bacteria, they activate production of their virulence traits. And by doing that, they can actually make you sick and turn on everything that will cause disease. It's intriguing to think that these bacteria are eavesdropping on our own inflammatory signals. They've learned, or evolved, I should say, to detect the signals our body uses to fight them. Yes, and those are very uh, primal uh, 
type of uh, signals because that's at the core of your immune system and it's the core of gauging how how well how healthy or not you really are and how stressed you are. So how did you get a handle on what the bacteria were doing and, and then try to work out how to stop them? So we figured out uh, many years ago that they were using the signals and then in 2006 we were able to identify one of the bacterial receptors for the signals. And what we've done now is to develop drugs that will bind to the bacterial receptor and prevent the receptor from seeing the host stress hormones. And in this way, the bacteria passes blindly through the host without being able to know where it is and activate its virulence traits. Oh, I see. So you've managed to come up with a drug molecule that can block up the ability of the bacteria to see adrenaline or noradrenaline, so the bacteria don't effectively know they're in the body. Yes. So how could this molecule be used, and is it safe? Uh, so far, the molecule is safe. Of course, this is in the level of proof of principle. We did do some preliminary toxicology in mice, and so far it looks to be safe. It also does not uh, uh, signal to human adrenergic receptors, which is important. Uh, and it can be used either to treat infections, or hopefully we also want to try to use this to prevent infections. And which sorts of bacteria will be vulnerable to this? Because you've done tests on a number of different classes of bacteria, but where do you see it actually being most useful? So it can be used, uh, very useful for something like E. coli-157, which right now has no treatment. Uh, we also uh, did the, uh, looked into this drug to treat salmonella infections, which can cause gastroenteritis and typhoid fever. We looked into tularemia, which is a biotreat agent, and in between those bacteria, there are several important pathogens that actually have this sensor. And so this could be used, hopefully, to treat some nosocomial infections, especially for patients in uh, ventilators, because uh, bacteria like Klebsiella, Sinetobacter, and Pseudomonas, who are important in this class of patients, which um, are, do not have a lot of treatments and antibiotics against, and are quite resilient to antibiotic treatment, uh, they all possess the signaling system. And just to finish off, when do you think that we might be seeing this going into humans in clinical trials? Uh, we're, we're planning, we got money from the uh, National Institutes of Health, NIH, to develop these drugs to preclinical in five years, which means in five years we want to be able to have everything preclinically, toxicology and safety done, and hopefully in five years to start the first uh, phase trials in humans. Vanessa Sperandio from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. The Naked Scientist News Flash this week was produced by Ben Valsler and I'm Chris Smith. We'll be back with another roundup next week. The Naked Scientist News Flash, reacting to the world's best science. For more information, look us up online at nakedscientists.com. <laughs>